beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. You can also hold it too, or you can oh, yeah, do, okay. you know what I mean? So, whatever. Is this distance all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's perfect, yeah. So you were saying that you would you would consider eventually doing a podcast, though, or not even? No, no you said you wouldn't do it because of the time. Yeah, and I mean, right now it's just not even in my uh, vocabulary. Mm-hmm. But I, I, w- I would do it if it, uh, if I had the time. I mean, I would. I, I mean, I thought about it a few times. And would you ever like? Would your podcast be exploring kind of art, illustration kind of stuff, or would you branch out to something else? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Partly more like art. Like I'm more of a uh, illustration is always like a small part of what I do. It is mostly just art. So I think it would be more kind of like that slant. Um, I mean, I started out as an illustrator. Oh, I'll, I'll save it for the. No, we can start. Why don't we start? Are we? Uh, yeah, start? we're rolling. I, yeah, that's how what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I started out as an illustrator, and uh, it was something that I thought I was going to do for the rest of my life, until I moved to New York City and I met these artists. Uh, in the East Village mm-hmm. in a bar and they invited me to show um, with them in a group show and and from from that point on I started doing uh, work for myself personal work and, and more and more slowly uh, it just became uh, a bigger part of my career and the illustration has taken a bit of a backseat I still will do illustration assignments if I can fit it in or if it's a fun project but it's mostly the exhibitions and licensing projects and um public installation type things and toys and apparel and all kinds of other yeah, stuff yeah. that I do. So you're dividing, I guess, a line then, uh, in a sense, between illustration and art, I guess, is what you consider the other? Um, I, is that a, I, is that too fancy pants? Are we getting highbrow? No, I think I'm doing the opposite. Okay. I think I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, blurring that line. Yeah. Some uh, illustrators that make the transition to fine art will have a completely different style, a completely different way of working. Uh, that doesn't look anything like the the other thing. Uh, me, I never made that distinction. Uh, when I, even when I was promoting myself at an early age, I would um, mix my my commercial work with my fine art work, and let art directors use their imagination. And there's a there's a difference in terms of like the subject matter and the kinds of images I'll draw and paint. Um, you know, one can tell. Okay, there this thing is a little bit maybe out there. Yeah. But really, in regards to like the image, it, uh, it's all just blurried. Hopefully. So then, highbrow and lowbrow doesn't even apply to you in terms of like your perspective. You're just kind of just creating, and then whatever comes out, out comes out. Whatever comes out, comes out. I uh, I get slotted. I used to when I started out um, uh, showing in galleries because I started at a, a lowbrow gallery in Los <laughs> Angeles. Yeah. So I was I was slotted in that scene, and and even the gallery owner at the time said well you're not really like a lowbrow artist you're not using a lot of the um, uh, the lexicon of that uh, uh, of that world flaming uh, skulls wearing top hats and stuff like that almost like Ed Hardy-ish kind of exactly yeah. yeah I mean I dig it I really like it but uh, I don't know what kind of brow I am unibrow middle brow <laughs> <laughs> I guess so yeah you can create like a whole different like brow genre <laughs> you know what I mean so we'll just like we'll think about it and we'll com- maybe we'll come back to it and see if you've come up with like a, a, a new brow level you know what I mean I think it's time I'm gonna give it some thought yeah, yeah. because I find I find like you it's interesting when people do blur the lines I think it's just a matter it's always a really taste right when people are saying low brow or high brow 
but it's like there's almost a contempt for like lowbrow or something like that but there's some really good stuff in there oh yeah there's i mean it, it, there's great stuff in highbrow and in lowbrow and some uh of the artists have made the transition um what started out as being the most lowbrow thing you could do un, in, under the umbrella of art street art has become highbrow yeah that's a good example yeah Graffiti's kind of graduated. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Graduated. It's growing up, and it's like. But has graffiti graduated, or has society's perception of what art is graduated? Oh snap! <laughs> <laughs> because I think the uh, uh, the thing has always uh, maintained uh, its integrity for the most part. I gotta say that, that some of the street artists working today um, are doing some of the smartest work, in, you know, in the art world. Your book was uh, um, it had an introduction with uh, Shepard Ferry, yes, and yes. he's one of the examples of like what you're talking about, where he started off kind of street art and then quote unquote lowbrow, and he kind of graduated and went to galleries now, and he's like one of the he's like top of the food chain basically. You he know is, I mean? and I don't think he's ever deviated from anything. Oh, uh, I don't think he's ever veered away from the street art sensibility. Uh, the only thing that's happened is is success and in, in people's label about what he should be doing the guy started out as an illustrator mm -hmm. he went he has an illustration background and he just started doing this thing he really liked it took off and he brought it to more people and merchandise some of it and then a lot of uh people in the street art scene with cred says uh, saying started saying that he didn't have any cred for, for doing this thing but i think it's ridiculous yeah and then once the obama poster the hope thing came and then that was the train just left the station then yeah the labels that you said you were getting initially have they kind of evolved or they changed how you get boxed in or how you get labeled yeah i mean i think uh, uh people still uh will think of me as an illustrator first but it depends on who you talk to in other circles uh i'm a fine artist first I, you know, I, I don't really look at myself as one or the other, but what I do is say, well, mostly uh, the the hours that I'm putting in day to day, week to week, are for exhibitions and things like that. So um, I, I just kind of relate it to like what's what's the line share of my job? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, what makes a, um, a presentation or not a like an exhibition successful then? Kind sales. Sales. Is that it? That's <laughs> the bottom line again. It's just like box office, basically. I think what makes an exhibition successful uh, is if I'm happy with the work and and, and and if I can look at it and say, you know, I've, I've achieved something. I've achieved the message I want to say. Um, and, and if the reviews are good, that also helps. But. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of pieces I've done. No, nobody will ever see. They were just kind of disasters, and you know, hopefully, I'll put something together, and, and it's a, uh, it's an exhibition that I'm proud of. Is there is there a lot of editing? Because you just mentioned like pieces that you're not proud of. Is there still a lot of editing, or like, can you are you getting closer to closing that gap between what you see in your head to getting it down on paper? Yeah. Yes and no. Uh, that's a really good question. In some aspects of, of what I do, uh, it's it's pretty easy. Uh, the technique, uh, painting, and just making things happen, there there is that comfortable zone. But then there's that other uncomfortable zone of maybe with some of the 
the messaging and the, and the construction of form in a picture and also even just trying new media so i would say that uh yeah a lot, a lot of things don't don't make it into an exhibition and that's okay it, it, it needs to happen do you ever like have like a drawer then where you just don't ever let them see the light of day or let the public see them or do you ever just end up recycling them or what do you do with it then yeah there's a drawer <laughs> there's a drawer a <laughs> yeah, drawer graveyard basically yeah yeah there's a drawer <laughs> i think every artist has a drawer yeah <laughs> do you have a lot of unfinished or unrealized projects i wouldn't say a lot of um you know, I, I do have a lot of uh, stops and start uh, starts and stops. Um, some things, though, you know, I'll look at a few years later and just think, "What was I thinking?" That's a good thing that I never finished that. And other times, I think, "Yeah, this is kind of not a bad thing. Maybe uh, let me try something else with it, and I'll take it in a different direction." So that part's cool. It's almost like it needs to sit for a little bit, like to steep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you put the tea bag in, and you just kind of walk away. Yeah. And then you come back five minutes or five years later and then <laughs> and it's not even like a lofty kind of sentiment this you know beautifully artistic poetic gobbledygook sometimes it's just a word or a character or a form i'll just look at me i don't know what to do with this thing or that thing's not happening and i'll look at it later on and think this actually works with something else it's just like a puzzle really yeah are you find as you get older doing this how long you've been doing this now you've been doing this for a while how many years? Do you know even know? Professionally, yeah. Professionally, I, I, I've been doing this a while. Yeah, since like the early '90s, um, since uh, my time in New York uh, after art school. So yeah, you know, twenty years ish. And are you finding as you do this, are you getting more honest too? Like, cause you are you getting more real and more vulnerable and kind of getting more of yourself out there, or does it kind of go in waves? I hope so. I mean, I'm trying. Uh, the I think the effort is the most important thing and the rest you just have to like hope for the best and and keep your fingers crossed that you are being honest and, um i mean things get into our heads sometimes right and you know you you, you mull things around uh, i'll look at works later on and, and and have that thought like what was i thinking that that was not working or that was th that was not as honest as i thought at the time but Again, it, it, I think as long as, as, as the motivation is there, um, if the intention is good, then uh, likely the picture will ho well, hopefully be good. <laughs> you're, you're making a face now, dude. Yeah, I, I pause in the middle of that thought. Yeah. I think if, if the intention is good, I guess what I'm saying is um, I, I won't be hard on myself because the, I, I look at the process more than the final result. The final result is just the record of the thing I was thinking at the time and so I, I credit myself for at least wanting to be honest about what I was trying to say and um, sometimes it doesn't work out and the process you have does that continue to kind of evolve because that's I guess that's what you're just kind of partly saying too right like that's part that's an important element for you the process from like the idea or the word to the final product so yes that has that has continued to evolve and it has because of the uh, of the challenges of um, of just life, of things that happen with exhibitions, of um, having uh, a stable uh, of collectors and wanting to do new things uh, to show them that I have more than one idea, mm -hmm. and in also for myself, 
by dealers. So uh, uh, the evolution, I think, is kind of um, a healthy attitude uh, and also a humbling one, too. Really humbling one. I look at some of the uh, some musicians and my friends and bands, and 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 I'm amazed at how uh, pertinent they can be and evolve and move um, with so many obstacles, like other personalities, you know, in the mix. Yeah. And I work in isolation, so I have the luxury of just you know trying crazy things myself and not having to worry about those other considerations. With music too, it's always like, I don't know if I can write a song again. You know what I mean? You get to a point where like yeah. you have to start all over, and I'm like, I don't know how to do this, right? Right. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. It's some people um, are amazing. Their output is incredible. Like, I would say that about like Nick Cave. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. He's. Uh, um, I like him more and more with each record, and I I thought I was a fan when I was a teenager. I thought I was a huge fan, but now in my life. I look at his music and see him as a soundtrack uh, to my life. I, I, I feel like a lifer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like, oh, my God, I love yeah, you. It's yeah. like you've been with me for so long and, and, your, and your music is uh, always relevant. And you start as you get older, too, you start to pick up the nuances, too, of what he's doing. Because I think I also picked up on him when I was younger as well. And you miss some of that. Yes, it's right? true. It's the same thing with Bowie, right? There's a lot of stuff that's going on with Bowie. And it's like, as you get older, like, oh, snap, I missed like half of that. Yeah. Right. But you also grow up with the uh, uh, with the people, too, whose music you love, if they're still doing it. And I mean, you know, a, a, a lot of the stuff now, I mean, like I, I listen to the birthday party and I find it more charming than anything. <laughs> charming because I think about like the snot nosed kid I was and the snot nosed kid that Nick Cave was when he was yeah. making those. That's songs, true. Yeah. Right? We were all like young and yeah. And so you you can also not just your process change, but your taste is also evolving too, right? Absolutely. And does as your taste evolves, does that kind of inform then your judgment of how you know your work is good? I think so because uh, you uh, you pit it against uh, what you know, and and what you know, um, uh, you know, is uh, maybe a better sense of color, better sense of form, better sense of communication. So the heightened awareness of those things. Uh, f- you know, by looking, you know, at amazing things in the world we live in, and taking those things and holding them onto them, start becoming um, uh, a natural baseline, uh, maybe platforms in a way. So when you when when you do make something, you have that uh, like a higher kind of platform. Yeah. You know, and it, which I think is a nice thing. You you teach or you did teach at OCAD? Are you still assistant? I'm currently teaching. Currently teaching. Yeah. And so. Are these kind of the things, the idea of how you um, edit yourself, your taste, your process, are these the things that the kids who are coming in through OCAD now are interested in, or what is it that they're interested in learning? Yeah, they're interested in learning that. You know, they, uh, they're they open-minded. They have, um, uh, you know, drawing and painting skills. Um, but, you know, they're, they suffer from the same thing I suffered from at that age, and that's just lack of experience. Uh, lack of exposure to um, uh, a, a b- big array of, of art and design and so when you're younger it's also more overwhelming and and you also think about your education and your um, and your studies and where you're gonna go and you still haven't found your groove and so uh, I think you know young people I, I kind of tell them more like you know if you just stick with it 
and do this thing that you love, eventually something is going to stick. It's like stand-up comedy almost. You know what I mean? You kind of exactly. You got to go up every night, and some nights you'll bomb, but you'll eventually you start to make people chuckle. Maybe you start making them smile a little bit, then they start to laugh, right? And you kind of you get them, you win them over. You win them over. It's true. It's the it, it's it's like that with uh, art. I you know I, I learned at an early age that one out of every ten pictures. Is, is, is pretty decent and the other nine are stinkers <laughs> so relish in those stinkers let those stinkers happen and enjoy and embrace them because you learn more from the the, the pieces that don't work than, than the pieces that do work the pieces that do work are just byproducts of all the bad stuff that happened and you can't even rest on your laurels with those pieces you have to keep making more stinkers to get to the next good one and when you're young you also don't have a lot of stinkers because you haven't made very many pieces so you're holding on to this little precious, tiny little pile of things, whereas if you make several thousand more, yeah, then yeah. you look at the forest for the trees and go, okay, you know what? Some of these you know, ones I thought were pretty great aren't so great. It really is like stand-up comedy, I guess. I, it's yeah. like, you know what I mean? Because you, like you said, you get like two minutes where you know it's like this really solid bit about women or boys and girls or something. And it kills, and like you said, then you just keep holding on to that, right? And anytime you start to bomb or you feel you're losing the audience, you're like, I got something now for you. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You drop it out, and it's like, there you go. Do you, you do stand-up comedy? No, I don't do stand-up comedy, yeah. no. So, But I have friends who do, and it's the creative process is very much similar to what yeah. you're talking about, right? Where you just, you just waste a lot of paper. That's what really stand-up comedy and what you're kind of doing, you know what I mean? And you just cre- keep creating, keep creating. And you're just chiseling away, trying to get at something. And then you hope at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, you have something of value that you can contribute. Right on. It's true. I think it's a good analogy. Right on, for sure. Uh, stand-up car- comedy is, uh, is, is phenomenal. It's one of the most uh, uh, amazing uh, um, art forms, forms of communication. Uh, this past week, I've been uh, revisiting, listening to uh, uh, Richard Pryor records. Oh man, yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, he's like a uh, it's it's like a catalog purchase buying a Richard Pryor comedy album. It's sort of uh, like a mainstay of comedy, like a cornerstone. Yeah, no, it's it is, and it's just it goes. That's what we were talking about a little bit earlier too, with the honesty as well. Yeah. He got more more honest. And uh, um, they recently put out a uh, was it the Richard Pryor box set that you got? There was they, no, they put out. I don't this, know about this. Okay, I'll send you an email. Yeah, it's amazing. yeah. And there was even bits he did towards end of his life when he had MS, and he had this bit about how he did some comedy. He came up some comedy club or whatever, and he, in his wheelchair and the whole bit, and he did some jokes or whatever, and he did okay. And this pretty girl was coming up to him afterwards, and he's trying to flirt with her like old school Richard Pryor. But because of the disease and everything, he started peeing on himself. I heard about this. Yeah. Yes. And so he's still trying to, like, be cool yeah, yeah. and, like, you know what I mean? I'm like, yo, he doesn't want to l- lose that image of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And still work on the girl, but, yeah. And he made jokes and stuff like that. Like, that's as honest as it gets to tell those type of stories and put that in that context and share that. And I'm like, man, that's honest. Like, that's as personal, vulnerable as you can get. And you put a sharp mind with that honesty and you have like a killer, mm-hmm. just a brilliant, brilliant person. Um, but, you know, I, I sometimes I wonder about that kind of thing. Like, you know, uh, is, it, is intelligence uh, um, 
can it be derived? Can you work at it? Can you get somewhere? <laughs> can you get smarter? Can ginkgo, you get smarter? Can you get like ginkgo biloba or whatever it is? That's yeah, the you know, fish oil and all those things. Yeah. And um, I think if you want to be smarter, maybe you can. But if you're happy, all right, there you go. But I mean, you don't know any better because you're pitting what your idea of smart is uh, against what you're interested in. So who cares? That's true, but then at the same, but then that's almost like a childlike mentality, right? Yeah. A two-year-old's gonna be happy. You put some Legos in front of them, they're done. That's they lose the afternoon, right? They they don't care about learning how to read or anything. But at the same time, what you talked about too, in terms of getting better and um, kind of evolving and developing a process, I think once you couple hunger or hustle with intelligence, then right. I think you can start to get maybe not smarter but you can make better associations and i think the people that can detect patterns uh better or faster are the ones who who win the race in a way that's good that's a good point and the hustle thing is is necessary um there's a lot of people who are who are good at art music and design and all kinds of things but without that the ingredient of hustle and i think uh, you know i mean Everybody is different too. I have friends who didn't need to hustle and did really well, had you know, had a lot of family support and did really well because they're just really talented people. I had to hustle when I uh, uh, finished art school and I moved to New York. That's I, real hustling. That's real hustle. Like, even yeah. in New York City, the hot dog guy will hustle. I was like, I want to sell 100 hot yeah. dogs by the end of the day. So, if the hot dog guy on the corner is hustling, the stockbroker is going to be hustling. The artist is going to be hustling. Like, Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the whole city is. And it's contagious. Yeah. It's an energy. The, the energy is good. Like, I uh, had a, a pretty good um, a part-time job working on the loading docks at Canada Post. And then when I finished art school, I uh, got a call from them. And I told them, never call me again. I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I said those words. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and then I said, well, okay, but if you change your mind, you know, here's the number. I never changed my mind. Good but, for you. And at that point, I said to myself, uh, I, I, I can make the story uh, poetic and say I looked in the mirror, but I don't know if I looked in the mirror. But I, 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 I go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Embellish. <laughs> I said to myself. In the mirror. In the mirror that I would never do anything uh, from uh, – for an income that wasn't related to art, that wasn't made from my my work, and and I've stayed true to that uh, to this day. Do you find the hustle in New York City is different than the hustle in Toronto? Oh yeah, I mean I can only speak to to the time uh, when I lived there, and in the way the city was uh, then. Um, there was no scene in in Chelsea back then. It was in Soho, and uh, Soho has completely changed now. Oh, yeah. It's all like. Apple stores and like, you know, what I mean, there used to be a lot more cafes and kind of restaurants. Yeah, and, you know. and it was Gallery Central. It mm-hmm. was the, it was the the mecca, um, not even just in the city or in the country, but in the world. Every you know, it, they were all down there. All, all, all the all the major um, galleries. Um, the hustle, uh, I think, is uh, in some ways easier, in some ways harder because of the digital age. When I lived there, nobody was in uh, Williamsburg, and you there was two people in Williamsburg and I knew one of them and uh, this guy lived in a building on the um, on the East River and there was uh, nobody else in the building <laughs> 11 floors yeah yeah and I walk up the steps 
go all the way to the top, and um, we could see the prison barge uh, <laughs> floating in the East River, and there wasn't a soul around. It was like it was abandoned. Uh, but uh, the advantage um, now for uh, uh, people hustling and starting out is is the internet, so they can get a bigger audience. But the disadvantage is that there's the internet and there's a bigger user uh, base. Yeah. So you, you have a bigger competition. You have to speak loudly now. Speak loudly. And uh, the other thing also is no matter how appealing something is, it's still only um, 72 DPI pixels. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have the same pull as seeing a, a piece of art in a gallery or in a book. Um, same thing with music too. Um, I mean, I don't want to be the old guy that talks about like you know <laughs> yesteryear, but there was something about. Um, uh, I was talking to some of my friends about this once that, you know, I think um, having a taste in music is derived from listening to music you don't like and being forced to listen to mu music you don't like. So if you travel ninety minutes and go to a downtown record store, and you buy the record based on the label you like or the band and you put that thing on a turntable, you're forced to go through that record and then find the songs you like, you turn that record over, you do it again, and you give it another shot because you spent like 10 bucks yeah. in that time, that afternoon, and then it sticks with you in a way, uh, not in the same manner, listening to an MP3 and just cherry-picking the hits or the songs that are supposed to be th the good ones. We're losing that ability uh, with the digital age to just dig through the stacks, right? To find, because when yeah. you go to that record store, if they, this is all pre-internet too, I'm like same age, right? So it's like, it's all pre-internet. So then you're like, all right, I got to find something good. Cause you don't yeah. want, you had this feeling you didn't want to leave empty handed. It's the same thing when you're in a bookstore, right? So it's like, all right, what's good? What's cooking? Let's, you know what I mean? And you dig through the stacks, right? And you dig through the yeah. bookshelf and you find something I'm like, all right, this will do. Let's give it a shot. What I find rewarding though, is um, I don't know if you ever stepped out and talked to some of the young people that come to this bar, but the young people I talk to, like in my class and so forth, a lot of them now own turntables and buy records, and I think that's great. I mean, maybe it's it's a phase because it's cool and it's yeah. retro <laughs> and so forth, but some of them genuinely are record hounds, mm -hmm. and uh, they look at us with reverence and they, oh my god, you have a first pressing of this thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you listen to a lot of music when you are creating or like when you're working? Uh, that's I, I can't work without music. It, you know, it's it's uh, it's fuel. And um, I uh, yeah, so so much of what I um, can talk about in my exhibition is that I can tell you the record I was listening to at the time and where I was and what songs in particular. I, I, I can walk through an entire exhibition. And, 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 and talk about that it, it's essential it's uh, it's like the creativity just happens when the music happens sometimes I'll, it'll even happen when I'm uh, uh, away from my studio and, and listening to music it's like oh my god this is such a good record I, I need to be drawing mm -hmm. what do you listen to these days that's kind of like inspiring you or getting you out of bed and putting on pants and going to the studio it's always the same stuff but it's the genre of the same stuff I like a lot of uh um, 60s uh, garage rock, like the, the, the early punk stuff. Um, but it's mostly the blues, uh, Mississippi Delta stuff. And, and I'm always like finding those things. Um, 
And uh, I, I mean, you could probably tell by my work because it is a lot of uh, a lot of the the symbolism and the languaging and the tone is from that era. Yeah. And and, and the music of the time also is just part part of that whole thing. A lot of people have commented on the old, quote unquote, the old timiness yeah. of your images, your fonts, the the Monopoly looking type guy, those kind of things, mm-hmm. right? And uh, but there's also that sarcasm as well, right? I noticed that too. And is that kind of is the sarcasm kind of informed also from uh, some of your upbringing in India? Because I find I'm Egyptian, so when I find yeah. when I go to Egypt, and you look at like you go to a grocery store or a convenience store, whatever equivalent it is. All the chocolate bars and stuff, it pops. There's a different quality to the graphic design. Yeah. and It's that it's third true. world kind of, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I had no upbringing in India. I was born there. I was a, uh, a baby when my uh, parents moved here. So the upbringing was here. But it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, uh, because if you're, if you're born someplace and if you come to another place, whether you're there as a small baby or as an adult – that old place never leaves you, especially from from uh, that part of the world. Yeah, and and because of that, I grew up um, having that uh, Indian sensibility, yet from an outside perspective, and so that framed my work. Um, I guess it, uh, a lot of the uh, commentary that I'll make, a lot of the dialogue, some of the Indian uh, things I'll infuse in my work, do come from. Uh, uh, that sarcasm, as you said, there is a sarcasm. That yeah. I appreciate it, though. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, no, and it's really neat to pick up on it. And it, it's it's almost uh, I'm trying to find the right right word. I guess it's a it's kind of like a a positive sarcasm. It's not like a mean sarcasm or trying to like. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, because I'm not a mean guy. Yeah, no, I know. So it's not making. It's not I'm making a silly guy. Yeah, you're a silly guy. <laughs> so I like that. So you've done like a broad range of stuff too. So I know we've been just kind of picking on just kind of illustration and the drawing and the fine art or lowbrow or middlebrow, whatever your genre is. But you've done like uh, let's see, we got here the Henry Rose in pocket squares. Uh huh. Yeah. How'd you get involved with that? I got involved with that a, a few years ago. Uh, my sister, who is my agent, Vandana, she's uh, 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 been working with me for a few years now, and uh, so she thought it would be great to like you know to, uh, work with Harry Rosen on a project. Um, and um, I forgot re- uh, really how that happened. Like she was uh, she was going out like you know meeting um, uh, different people here and there and. Uh, um, but she made a contact at some point and uh, she said they're interested because they knew my work and they were interested and so we uh, did a line of pocket squares and they really liked it and so we did another line of pocket squares the following year and they liked it and uh, soon the third line is going to come out oh okay when's that going to be out you know or uh, I would say uh, is it fall now so I guess fall now probably in a few weeks maybe next month okay um, yeah, it should be in uh, the Harry Rosen stores does it follow a theme? The last theme was that flirtation. Yes. Right? And, like, um, I saw some of it at the, your Cambridge exhibit. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah you had, like, the uh, I heart us, but then the heart was all kind of frowny, yeah. kind of sour-faced, and, like, right? So that it all followed that kind of theme of, like, flirtation. Does this, does this new collection have a theme as well? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the uh, I have an aviation theme going on, which is it's a really uh, – it's an aviation theme. It's kind of like the classic gentleman but uh, with the aviation theme, uh, that also translated into my exhibition. Uh, 
So my show next month in New York has a lot of planes in here it. Here and now. Here, no, it's, oh, called, here. it's called Hotel There. And uh, so, yeah, th- so the pocket squares um, uh, have that aviation thing going on as well, which I know it sounds kind of ridiculous, but now that I think of it, I never really uh, timed it like that or made the connection. Yeah. It just sort of happened. Like planes were just a thing going on. Um, and I... I uh, I'm happy with these two because I did uh, some really interesting color palettes, like deeper colors. And Harry Rosen's been really great to work with. Um, the, the the pocket puffs, they call them, they're 100% Italian silk. And they're really nice translations of my work. You said you just noticed the connection between the, the aviation. Do you ever find that as you look back at your work, you can see those patterns or like these kind of seasons? Absolutely, yeah. At the time, though, um, I don't... Uh, give it too much thought and if you actually do want to ask me about that i meditate and i credit credit my creativity uh, to spending as much time as i can um to not having thoughts or you know a- aiming to like uh, sit in a place of stillness because that's really uh i think where creativity comes from that goes back again to the analogy of like the te- steeping tea Right, where you just kind of now instead of letting the work just kind of sit after you've done it for a little while, you yourself are just sitting there and just kind of steeping, and you you got to percolate before you circulate, right? Yes, and also uh, trust the hand, and 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 stop giving the mind so much credit, and just make, and just do, and and have the the thing just to evolve on its own without attaching yourself to where it's going, because it knows where it wants to go and. Um, creativity is one of those funny things when, when you le- let it be you know it thrives and every artist designer musician will tell you like those moments of revelation were just like these sparks that happen that can't be repeated again and nobody knows where you know that thing um, yeah where it comes from where or, it comes from yeah Does the Greeks had an idea where it came from where did they think it came from the gods well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like fire, I guess, right? <laughs> Instead of like fire is like, here you go. Let's make here aviation. This is a great theme for some pocket squares. Hit it. Hit it. Yeah. But the good thing I like about their uh, viewpoint is that if something works out, you can take credit for it. But if it doesn't work out, you can blame the gods. Oh, that's really good. Well, that's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the best of both worlds <laughs> yeah. then. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to try and use that. Does being also curious help as well? You have to be curious. You have to be in love with what you're doing and and, and, uh, um, be passionate, be open-minded, be surprised, be excited, uh, and be willing to do a face plant. Be willing to just have the whole thing be a disaster and, and go to that point where you... Uh, waste beautifully waste hours on something that sucks and then you'll never use again and but at the same time just be okay with it because the best part of it is the process now that said I make my living from this stuff so I I have to put it out there in the world and eventually the process has to create something (laughs) exactly has to create something it's gotta you know become a business but uh I think that stuff also is a snowball effect too. When when um, when you have the right thing in place, you set 
aside the time to make stuff. So, you know, my, as I mentioned, my sister Vaughn is my agent, but I also have a studio manager, and my studio manager looks after uh, the the details of things, so I can spend hours in my studio working. That's a lot. Like again, we're gonna use another uh, band analogy, but for the bigger bands, U uh, two, Coldplay, Rolling Stones, when they go on tour, they have I don't know those bands. Okay, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know you're all in the '60s and the rock and roll and the punk and whatever. But for the rest of us who listen to those bands, they um, obviously have people just kind of catering to them for the whole day because their whole when they're on tour, especially at those level, their their whole thing is those two hours. From like nine to ten or ten to eleven or whatever it is, so that that those are magic when they get in front of the audience. So everyone takes care of them. They make their food for them. They iron their clothes. All the distractions are gone, and all they have to do is focus on those two hours of magic. You know who is even better though? Who? Chuck Berry. You know what he did? What did he do? Tell me, tell me. So his thing was that um, he would he would go on the road. There would be house bands uh, in the city where he was playing. Everybody had to know his music, like every note perfectly. And so the expectation was that he would come and they would get a list of the song. They knew all the songs. Yeah. And and he would get out there, play, do the set, boom, off into the night, gone like again. Batman. Batman. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, and I love and I love that where it was like, um, he doesn't he doesn't know these people. He just yeah. is expecting that they rise to the occasion and then bring it forward. And there's so there's that kind of crash and burn mentality where like he's setting up the parameters, but the whole thing could go south. Yeah, yeah. There's a really cool James Brown documentary where he talks about working with his band, and how he you talk like you said he just set this expectation, and at first some of them were like, well, we got to get to that level. I'm like, oh, I just want to come and play the horn and just go home. Like James Brown would weave it into the music. Yeah, he would turn around and. Um, he w- his ear was so amazing. He could find anybody in the band and point them out, and s- and he would say, "I caught you." Yeah, <laughs> you like s- screw that note up. And I know that was gonna be. It's like, and he would turn it into a dance move. Man. James Brown, man, yeah. we don't. We're losing guys like that, man. We are. And in terms of like how you continue to evolve, like you, I guess, like I haven't even tapped in like half the stuff you do with like uh, concert posters, album covers. We talked about the Harry Rose and Pocket Squares. For you, when you're working, does the does the project determine the message, or like the message kind of come first, and then it's like, oh, that'd be great to put on Pocket Squares, or like, how, how do you develop the the medium and the message? Yeah, the, the message is uh, uh, is the wheels, uh, are the wheels. Um, they make the thing go. They just the whole thing happens because of it. But at the same time they're an important element but they're also just the wheels in that the engine is the thing right and um it, it, it's a separate component from um from what i am because the, the message is my interpretation of it it's a, it's like a, it's a diving board a diving board is a benign object it's a piece of wood or whatever they make them out of plexiglass or whatever the fiberla- nice. fiberglass whatever sure, it is. let's go fiberglass but the person who's jumping off it and is doing all the aerials and the jumps and is winning uh, the gold medals at the Olympics uh, is is using the, the diving board as a thing. I, I feel that way about the message. The, the message is, is essential in the communication, but ultimately comes down to um, the author's interpretation and, 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 and worldview of uh, using that message to advance that point. Because then really, 
a, a message is um, it's a. I think the best messages aren't really revelations. They're just th things that we already know. I'm not talking about facts, but I'm talking about concepts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like it's a universal uh, thing, and that perspective you bring it in, bring into it, um, it, is your style and your honesty. There's really no difference between a T-shirt and a book and a movie. They're all just telling stories. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And so, and that's for you. That's how you look at it. So when you're doing stuff for like the, the Royal Canadian Mint, you're working on coins, or when you're working with Henry Rosen and you're doing pocket squares, you're still just telling basically the same story, or a, the, the message is the same. It doesn't really. The medium just happens to be a little bit different. Ab absolutely, and uh, those are two good examples where I'm, I'm working with um, uh, clients that respect and get me. Uh, both Harry Rosen left me alone. The Royal Canadian Mint, um, I had reservations at first. I thought they would want to rein me in and to do something that was very uh, uh, safe. But it was the uh, kind of the opposite. In fact, the VP of the Mint uh, looked at my design um, for O Canada and he said, you have a character with a tongue sticking out. And then we looked up your work and, oh, this is something this guy does in his art. So we left it alone. Okay, let's let it be. <laughs> That's nice. It was nice. Yeah. And then that, again, again, goes full circle to how we started the conversation, which is the whole idea of labels and how people are seeing you and perceiving you. And so now when you are hired or when you're approached to do a project like these, are you getting a lot, of more, a lot more freedom or are you still getting a lot of the restrictions or like, I'm sorry, we can't do that or like, are you still getting no's? Um, I, I'm not. Uh, sometimes the restrictions, I mean, it could be just like good art direction based on um, uh, the constraints of the design or like, of a wall or a window. Um, I had constraints, for example, um, w w working the, uh, on the neons down the street for the Ket Festival because the window is a certain size and, and what I'm working with is a certain size and the colors I'm working with. Um, but those to me aren't really restrictions. They're just specs of, a, of an assignment. When somebody gets restrictive and says, draw this, mm -hmm. I will either say, um, no, thank you, call somebody else, or I'll show them um, a better idea, which is my own. And they'll <laughs> almost always say, sorry, we should just listen to you. Yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of hiring somebody like you. It's yeah. like, like the story you had with the Canadian Mint, right? It's like, we know what we're getting into with this guy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have the one, what's that uh, image where the guy's picking his nose and then it's... Uh, oh, the wine. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally repugnant. To to yeah. yeah. All right. And it's like, that's classic. So, you know, once based on something like yeah. that, you know what you're getting into. So, and you just finished up the um, exhibition in Cambridge. That finished at the end of September, right? That's the, right. The uh, idea exchange, right? Yes. Um, and that one was called a retrospective retrospective. Yeah. Yes. And how did that go then? Was that then successful? And that was good. I went to that one. That was really cool. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, uh it was my first, uh, municipal gallery retrospective and I had hundreds of works there and it, it was a surprise to me to see them all together in one place because they came from different places. Uh, and I never conceived in my head they would all be hanging out in yeah. one room together on display. Um, it was like a giant room of your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's some toys in the corner. Yeah. There's the pocket squares up in the wall. There was the oh no. It was a big range. Uh, some uh, uh, 
some illustration, um, some fine art, um, various projects I've done. Yeah, a, a lot of it was there. It was, it was a good representation. Uh, but it was also a retrospective. So it, it was kind of a um, uh, sort of a career kind of uh, exhibition of the past. And, and so the past in the sense that, you know, I mean, everything was stuff that I had done. So I kind of looked at it from an outsider perspective of where I once was, not where I'm going. And retrospectives are always like that. So I was like, here's a bunch of stuff that... I used to do, yeah. but it's happening now because that's how these things just kind of work. But the new stuff, um, you know, it, it uh, it's always things that are kind of down the line because by the time I make them and they get seen. So for the last year, I've been working on uh, paintings, uh, mixed media works for this exhibition next month in New York, the Hotel There show. and uh, And then I'm also working on new works for a soon-to-be exhibition in about a year-ish in Amsterdam. Oh, nice. So, so the whole thing just always keeps moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And then to use another uh, music band analogy, do you, are you, like, I guess the Cambridge one was your greatest hits collection. Are you comfortable putting out a greatest hits collection or would you rather go work on new material? Does the new material kind of um, inspire you more than going back and looking at what you've done? Yes, because the greatest hits collection, uh, I think, in the art world, um, is different than it is in music. In in music, it's it's put out as a product to be bought. Yeah. In in the art world, it's put out as a product to be um, uh, seen, so the new stuff gets bought. Because this work is not for sale, because it's a municipal gallery. So uh, the idea is that it brings cultural relevance to me. So when I can get a, get a bigger audience, and then you know, and I guess in that sense it is connected, because it is part of like, you know, uh, the bigger picture, but it's also um, never on the, uh, on the, on on the same kind of um, scale as a gallery exhibition. A gallery exhibition, for my career, anyways, so far, is always more of an intimate thing of like thirty to fifty works, twenty five to forty five works. But hundreds of works, that's a, that's a retrospective. Yeah. And then how, when you're creating, uh, like, for, like, New York City and you're putting together your works for that, how do you know, like, it's done? Is it just based on the space, again, as a restriction? Or is there just kind of, like, you just feel like you've said everything you need to say about aviation, whatever your common themes are, and then that's that? That's it. The specs of the wall space, uh, the, the measurement of the length of the wall and the height, and... And so I do map that out, and I'm, and I'm making the, the works. I'm, I'm laying them uh, on the floor, uh, putting them on my wall, my studio, and measuring it out and saying, okay, I've got this much space going here, and what can I work with? Um, but that usually happens halfway through <laughs> working mm -hmm. on, the, on the show. In the beginning, it's just a free-for-all. Like, let's just make the stuff. Yeah. And then halfway through, it's like, okay, you know what? I can kind of pull back and... And, and um, make some smaller pieces because I, you know, have less real estate now to work with. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. When does the New York City one open up? It's It opens soon, November 21st. November. So about a month from now. About a month from, from now at my main gallery called the Jonathan Levine Gallery. Okay. And you're also, in addition to that, you're working, uh, you're on the stamp, hang on, I got to get this, the Stamp Advisory Committee 
for Canada Post. Yes. That's awesome. What explain what that is and what you do for them? Because it's a small group, right? It's about twelve people, or yeah, it's a small group. Um, we meet in Ottawa uh, three times a year, uh, occasionally in a different city like Toronto or Montreal, and um, we help decide and advise uh, Canada Post on the stamp program, and it's an important. Uh, um, uh, important position that I really honor and uh, I'm humbled by and I'm glad and I'm really glad they asked me and I'm excited about the meetings I've been on the um, committee now for uh, this is my fourth year so you were responsible for Superman I wasn't responsible oh, for okay. Superman but I um, saw things that nobody else saw and oh <laughs> man and, and uh, the responsibility is um, yeah with certain stamps though the responsibility um, is bigger sometimes than it is w with other stamps. As a committee, we'll also come up with ideas. So there are things happening where I am directly involved with, and other things are just kind of creative input, design input. And other times it's just like, you know, uh, it, this whole thing isn't working. So it really does vary, but... Um, the Superman stamps were really cool, eh? They were they were nice, yeah. yeah no, and Love uh, no, and this the the range of the artists too. I thought was really neat too. So you had like the old school Superman yes. from like the forties and fifties and whatever, right up to like more modern era. Um, I thought that was all really cool. No, it was really well done. The art directors and the designers at, at Canada Post are incredible. The the things they 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 do, and uh, it, it, I'm I'm really impressed. I didn't know much about uh, philatelics before I started uh, 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 this position, but um, I don't collect stamps, but I really do appreciate them now. And um, I mean, maybe I will one day <laughs> start collecting them. Has it inspired you to kind of ma like ma mail more things or do postcards or anything? Absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of those things that it it's not just a means of getting mail from one place to another. Um, they're they're little tiny pieces of art little square little squares or rectangles or circles or all kinds of shapes that are there that are um hallmarks of our time of our culture of it's the pulse of where we are in in, in the world and as a nation and the considerations that we make like things i never thought about before um about our country from e you know east to west north to south reflecting all 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 of canada and, and it's made me look at uh, our nation's history in, in a more um, uh, intimate way. Speaking of Superman, though, do you have, um, I guess, a comic book sensibility as well? Because there is a little bit of that. Mm. Did you grow up reading a lot of comic books or seeing comic books, I guess? or Yeah, but the kind of comics I liked uh, weren't superhero stuff. They were all Mad Magazine stuff. Yeah, that's kind of like all of that kind of stuff is all yeah. that kind of like a little EC Comics too. Yes. Some of the sarcasm, some of the over-the-topness. Absolutely. And a, a big fan of the Fleischer Brothers, Popeye. And, um, yeah. Betty Boop. Uh, uh, a, a lot of those... Uh, um, you know, folks from the 30s. I, I, I like more like the, the visual and the way it looked than following the story. Um, maybe for like, for me, like I, uh, there's very few comic book artists that I, um, you know, resonate with, I guess, or, or, or feel inspired by. 
um, maybe it has to do with the format of the thing and just a, a, a story within pictures. I like stories by themselves without pictures and I like pictures by themselves without stories. And when they kind of come together, um, I think that nuanced relationship is not an easy one. And uh, that's why I've never really been a big fan of it. Yeah, because you, uh, some of the images you have, you almost drop the viewer into the middle of the story. Uh, there's the one was a good husband, great lover. I think good husband, good lover. Yeah, yeah, right. Where it's just like a photo of uh, you just drew draw an image of one dude, and then the next one is like he's got the mustache. Yeah, right. And it's just like you can tell there's like this moment because to grow a mustache takes a little bit of time, right? So there's like <laughs> there was this story that happened. There was something. There's some sort of transition. There was some sort of moment they had with a lady or a wife or whatever it is. And it's just this incomplete story, but you know something happened. You hit the nail on the head, and, and that's exactly what I want. I don't want a before and after. I just want that present moment, almost as if um, um, the page has been torn uh, out of a book or something. That's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah. that's what it feels like. Discarded. Yeah. And, um, and you've just found this thing. So um, it's accidentally art. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like when you go out on the street, like... And you see some like tail lights kind of broken down on the on the street. You know what I mean? And you know that there was some sort of accident that just happened here. Right. It's like I just went to work this morning. When did this all happen? Right. Like, you know what I mean? But you can tell something just went down. Yeah. In terms of um, like you're just talking about how you have um, a bit of a story. Like you you ripped the page out of a book. Is mystery also really important to you as a quality in terms of the work that you do? It is. Mystery is important. Um I think of it more as intrigue. Uh, oh, that's a better word. Yeah, you know, I I, I aim to um, because because it's a conversation. It's a it's a dialogue, uh, and I'm using a, a, a you know a visual, you know, as a as a means to engage in that dialogue. But with dialogue, you want participation. You you want a reaction, and. And I think in dialogue, there needs to be a sense of uh, intrigue. Otherwise, the viewers are not interested. They don't want to hang out and talk and look at the thing and engage. And so unless there are elements in something that makes you know the viewer think, okay, uh, is there something that's happening I'm missing? It's never really um, uh, a conscious thing, but I also don't think it's a conscious thing in real life when you're with other human beings on any level there's always that degree of intrigue and mystery guess what happened to me today exactly but with that intrigue though is there is there a, a tension i guess between intrigue and then clarity as well because obviously like when you're working with clients like you've worked for some like big clients and like magazines and things like that and like newsweek comes to you and say we want to do a magazine cover like you obviously need clarity there right you can't just have like you can't just sell them on intrigue it'll be right. amazing Exactly, and, and the clarity is in the message. As I was saying, you know, the wheels or the thing that is just driving the whole thing, but the stuff on top of it that I get to like dance and like move around, like uh, you know, infuse some things, not any hidden um, uh, symbols or anything, but uh, things that I guess are just like akin to who I am because everything is kind of a self-portrait. So. The clarity is essential. I think the clarity is even essential um, in my fine art work, and and in the, the the message is more obscure, but that doesn't matter. The clarity is still there, 
in the communication of of the of the mood mm-hmm. in in in, in the, I want the viewer to pick up on that uh, tone hopefully <laughs> all right well we'll see because you said uh, November 21 you said yes uh, New York City and which gallery is it it's the Jonathan Levine gallery and then ho- next year will be Amsterdam next year Amsterdam and uh, next month Harry Rosen <laughs> yes it's a very busy month for you it's a busy month yeah Yeah. alright cool thank you for coming in so we covered like uh, India we covered sarcasm we covered Nick Cave Richard Pryor Richard Pryor <laughs> I think we did a fantastic job didn't we we, we, we sure did thanks Gary for coming in thanks for having me it's been a pleasure <laughs>